y'all? What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of We Don't Know Her. I'm Katie. And if you didn't know already, I'm Christy. (laughs) We're the hosts of this little program. And uh, welcome, if this is your first time listening, welcome. If you're, um, you know, a return caller, welcome again. Um, Hello. Hello. Yeah. (laughs) Hello. We're, you know, there's not an episode that we don't start where we don't say like we're having issues. We're having technical difficulties and today is no different. So just bear with us. I mean, we, please, we know we ask you of that, like of that of you every week. And that's really, I don't know that that's ever going to change. We're always, it's really like a package deal. Yeah. It's a package deal. When it comes to us, we come with issues sometimes. We sure do. So take us for who we are. And last week we talked about guilt and I know it was a kind of a heavy topic. We got into some pretty intense emotions that Christy and I have both carried around for a while and we were really going through last week and we mentioned that, you know, guilt and anxiety are kind of two sides of the same coin. And this week we wanted to focus on anxiety. So we're kind of exploring what is how we've each experienced anxiety uh, and how it's affected us and We know that it's something that a lot of people have dealt with their entire lives. And I'm sure even people who never had anxiety have started experiencing it over 2020. Um, So I think this will probably be relatable whether you're somebody who's had like chronic true anxiety disorder or if you're just somebody who this is new for you. Welcome to the club. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty popular club. I would say that over the last maybe five years, I think it's been getting more and more recognition because it's something that is so common and it's it comes in so many different forms. I mean, like you said, it it can show itself in in guilty feelings, it can show itself in decision making. It can it there's so many different avenues that it can take up that mm-hmm. this episode is going to be a we're gonna try to keep it as concise as possible because it does find its way into many, many aspects of both of our lives and I'm sure everybody's life. So to avoid going off on too many side roads, we're just going to try to keep it concise. But just at the top of the episode, figured I'd put that out there. Yeah. And as a little disclaimer as well, um, we are recording via Zoom today and my neighbors are being extraordinarily loud. So if you hear anything, this that's not the ghosts. Um, there are ghosts here as well, but mm-hmm. you won't be hearing ghosts. That might just be my neighbors screaming at two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, so, what else? What else is the now? joys of Philadelphia. Um, and if you're somebody who, like lives in an apartment or in a major city, I'm sure you you know those struggles as well. I've never not lived attached to somebody else, so you think that I would know by now, like the struggles of it. But no, every day it's still just as annoying and shocking as the last. So. It really is. Yeah, it truly is. It's a luxury to be unattached in many aspects. Um, (laughs) But I think before we dive into the heavy stuff, there were a couple things that I did want to briefly discuss that are on my mind. One of them being, if you haven't heard, the Britney Spears documentary that was released recently. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's a very hot topic these days, rightfully so. And I guess I just wanted to voice my opinion on it because I stand with the Free Britney movement. I wholeheartedly support her and love her, and I really hope that the more attention that this gets, that hopefully she does have a light at the end of her tunnel. But the thing that I just wanted to go on record saying is that 
Justin Timberlake, you know, my feelings about him are now just stronger in the way that I was, you know, didn't really care for him. I wasn't caring for him. Um, and I just think that this, this shows and exposes him for who he really is. Katie's giving me a look. That's why I'm, I'm like, I'm slowing down. No, I'm mostly but, making a face because my neighbors yet again are just so fucking loud. But um, no, I, it's hard for me because I, I've mentioned on here before, we both did, that Justin was one of the first loves of our life. The love that I felt for him maybe was more intense than the love I feel for my husband. Who's to say, but who knows? Who's really to say, but it's hard, you know, when your heroes fall from grace and I haven't loved him in a really long time. I honestly, when he married Jessica Biel, I was like, okay, bye, I'm done with you. I've never been a Jessica Biel stan at all. And like, I despise the way they talk to each other. That Ugh. video, just as I, I'm sorry, but that video she posted of herself, being like, hey, baby, we're real proud of you. Keep me down, taking care of, like, what the f- Shut up. God, they're just, Shut- they're so gross and like cringy and like. No one, like awful. irrelevant at this point. And you know what? The awful. reason that I feel very strongly about Justin is that he, like, I think that when I was younger, in Justin Timberlake times, I was, it really shows how my taste has evolved because it's not surprising that I was attracted to like the pretty jocks, like who were conventionally good looking. Little, we were literally. Yeah. No, listen, I don't discredit my love for him. I, I, it was true and it was real, but it just looking back, I can say that it does make a lot of sense because I was just like, for whatever reason, attracted to like douchey guys and he was one of them. And then I think once he started making movies, it was just an energy that I felt that he gave off that he thought he was the shit. And he thought that he, and then he started becoming um, known for his friendship with Jimmy Fallon and like being like the funny guy. And I'm like, bro, you're not funny though. Like you just because like you act uh, goofy. Love Island, like the Dick in a Box (sighs) of it all, the SNL and the. Like overrated, not Mm -hmm. even like that funny. Like maybe like when it first came out, it was, it was okay, but it was over the years. He's just shown himself to be douchier and douchier, and thinking horny. that yeah, like he, he's just he thinks he's the shit, and I don't like yeah. it. No, and, and like and then when he was, I mean, there's so many things the the Janet Jackson, the but then also mm-hmm. um, when he got caught when he was filming his recent movie, you remember holding hands with like his cast, yeah. got his ring on, and yeah. all this Snake in the grass. shady, yeah, and also Jessica Simpson talks about him in her book. Uh, she talks about like when she first she tried out for the Mickey Mouse. Oh club, yeah, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't think she made it. I think I don't think she made it. But no. she tried out, and there's a whole interaction with Justin and his mom, and like all of this stuff, and it really He's paints like a, a picture snob. that he he was nice to her. She says, I mean, they were little kids. He was nice to her, but that he was like showing off as much as possible, and you could tell that that's what he was instructed to do, and that that's who he sees himself as, like the ultimate entertainer, and. I think, you know, that never went away. And it's a shame. It's it's a bummer because it's not unusual. I think that most young child stars kind of have that complex. You know, it's like really hard to stay normal when you are that famous at the age of, of 12, you know, like that's crazy. But um, I don't know. I mean, he released his statement saying that he's apologized. I read it and I was and like, the whole... The notes app, the the I'm timing. So tired. I know the note. I'm so tired I, of the notes apologies. Like, did you? I I would like to think. Here's the thing. I'm not going to completely cancel him, but at the same time, I just hope that 
I don't know. I can't, I, I can't say for sure like that he hasn't thought about this or felt apologetic over the years, but it's been like 20 years. And, you know, is this like just a publicity thing because it's, it's popular now and everybody's like talking about it and you feel like you need to address. Yeah. I, I'm just like, it's I'll believe it when I see it. I will give you the chance to prove yourself, but I'm also, I got my eye on you. Yeah, it's hard to know with Justin. In this day and age of the apologies. And, you know, like they said on Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, it's not about the apology. It's about the actions afterwards. So we will see, do your, yeah, do your actions we'll line up with your words? And are you really sorry? Um, and I'm not forgiven we'll say, though, Justin. Not We're forgiven. Not. But I think that just on that, you know, Brittany was awarded that the one, a bank will be co-conservator and her dad objected it, but he was denied. So there is a co-conservator now. So that's a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And that's like a huge, huge thing. So hopefully progress is being made and, um, the only thing about the documentary, though, is just that there is a lot that is l- left out. You know, mm-hmm. like there are so many missing pieces to this whole story. About like I, I liked the documentary, but I, I do also think that it it only skimmed the surface. There's so much shit. Like, where is the rest of her family? You know, how where? And I don't know. That's just like where my curiosity lies. Like, where are her? boundaries of what she is allowed to do like with the social media like is she I mean I think that my my view of it and based off of what now I haven't watched the documentary yet but I've been like reading and part of the free Britney movement I guess for a while but the from what I've been seeing is basically when he has full when he had full conservatorship he could say obviously where she went what she did who was allowed there how much money of any kind she was allowed to spend obviously uh and who was allowed at the property so I don't believe that her mom and sister are allowed there. I don't believe they're allowed to speak about her publicly. I think that he he had a real tight grip on all that legally. He could say that you can't or I can sue you or whatever. So I think that he definitely, my opinion is he hired the boyfriend. I think maybe maybe the boyfriend now is actually cares about Brittany and is trying to help maybe now, but I don't- Yeah, did you hear him speak out? Yes, and again, I think he's doing that to save his own ass so that nobody comes for him. I think he was fully hide, hired by the dad to be, to keep Brittany occupied and make her think that she's living a quote unquote normal life. And cause obviously if she's just there by herself, like she's going to get restless. She's going to want to try to do things. So if he has, if he's there with her, then, you know, it's like any other relationship, you just stay in, it's a quarantine and whatever, but everything about it, the way that you could tell she's reading off a prompter when she posts Instagram stories, she could tell that it's not her own words she's not, I don't think she's actually posting it. I think they're saying, let me take a video of you. And then anything else that's actually typed, I think they're typing. I don't think, I don't believe that she has actual access to anything. I think she used to, I don't, but then once the free Britney movement started, I think they took it away. Well, either way, I mean, just watching. She's never posting things like her painting and stuff anymore. Like now it's just these weird scripted videos of her. Very cryptic as well with the captions, but I, I mean, on the same, on the same token, I do have to say that like that watching it and I'm, and maybe it's, it's so fresh in my mind because I just watched a documentary not that long ago about Princess Diana, but it was just, just another instance of the media slowly torturing and killing these people basically. And it did make me think because even back then in 2007, when Britney was having the meltdown, which was it's so heartbreaking to watch how much it affected her and like what led her to that moment. Because at the time, let's see how old we were, we were like high school pretty much like 
18, 19 when it mm-hmm. happened. And I definitely remember when it happened, but not really thinking much of it in terms of her being like a spectacle. I wasn't, I felt a little bit indifferent, I think. Cause then I remember like the Chris, remember like that video of Chris Crocker who was like screaming, crying, like leave Britney alone. And that became famous in his own right. But mm-hmm. I don't think that it made a huge impact on me back then in terms of like feeling a certain way, but what can I do? But I feel like by not doing anything or not feeling anything back then, it was almost just as bad as like feeding into it. But now I almost feel like I have to make myself accountable because I feel like I'm part of this person, like this, this monster that was like watching her go through all of this stuff. And I just, no, I think I felt the same way. And I think a lot of people did after watching the Taylor Swift documentary. It's the same thing when you realize that you were part of a media and part of a culture that was mm-hmm. being a child uh, and destroying their life and leading them to really a complete freak out and a complete breakdown. And I think the only thing that separates that from happening to certain celebrities is that they have a rock solid family that mm-hmm. and friends that really support them and like keep them unprotected. And clearly Brittany from the beginning has always known and her parents always admitted that she was, they put her out there to make money for the family because the family didn't have any money. So mm-hmm. that's always been the truth. And I think it's just, it's just sad. And I do feel that way. I remember, I noticed it because I thought when she first had her freak out that I remember thinking like, oh, she's reached the breaking point. Like she's hit, Mm -hmm. she's hit the wall. I didn't mock her for it. I just, I remember thinking like, oh good. Like now they're going to get her help and she'll be able to take a break for a little while because she's been famous, so famous for so long. Yeah. But then two years later, I shaved my head. And everybody kept saying, oh, you went Britney. Oh, you've had a, have you lost your mind like Britney? I, I got references like that all the time. And what's sad about that is that I was having mental issues at the time. I was on medication. And I, it's sad how quickly people are to dismiss or mock some, a woman. Mm-hmm. Um who they see struggling as like, you should have it together. It's something to make fun of. And I think after that, I realized like, you know, I can't imagine that if I went through that publicly, I can't imagine what people would say about me. And the, the, I'd got ridiculed plenty just by people that we knew. I can't imagine if the whole world was part of it. So, you know, I do, I feel for her and I've always, for a long time, I've been supporting her and I hope, I hope the best for her. And I think now that everybody is hopefully really paying attention, it's like just an underground, underground movement that mm-hmm. it'll gain traction and she'll, because honestly, allegedly, according to me, I think they're keeping her drugged. I swear to God. She's not. I mean, she's, she yeah. doesn't look, she's not right. Like there's something. Well, she's, she was like a coherent very, person very. before, like not that long ago. And this is such odd behavior that. Her teeth. Her teeth. They're different. Yeah. Her teeth are different. They're different. Every, mm-hmm. there's a lot that is just like, she hasn't obviously been given medical care or dental care. Like, I don't believe that she's being taken care of. I think she's literally locked in like a tower, you know, kind of situation. So, yeah. I mean, she's being compared to Rapunzel all the time of like, mm-hmm. that's why everybody does. That's like part of the, part of the passion behind this is like, we feel like we need to save her because yeah. she's locked away. But well, hopefully yeah. there's Just some hope progress the gets made. And <clears throat> once I'm in like a bit of a happier headspace, I'm going to watch it. I, you know, as like we talked about to kind of bring it full circle, as we talked about last week, Christy and I were both dealing with a lot of guilt. And 
this week we're both having some anxiety <laughs> and <laughs> it did just so happen to be two sides of the same coin but wait, like we said you don't usually get one without the other so uh you could maybe but unusual so this week uh you know i'm definitely feeling super anxious today in real time and i've been feeling anxious for a while and i'm somebody that has anxiety disorder and i have anxiety at least multiple at least once a day i would say probably um but then there's of course times that are full-blown panic attacks or anxiety attacks that are a totally separate thing um so we're going to kind of get into that and then on the other hand christy i'll let you speak for your your you know my update of where i am overview of your yeah your experience with anxiety well over this past week it has been an extension of the whole situation that I alluded to the week prior of just feeling guilty about watching a situation unfold in front of me that I felt like I should have been more active in or taken more action in. But over this past week, I've just been anxious in a way that feels very generalized, but it was also extremely exhausting. And it had basically just kept my adrenaline going for five days straight and mixing that in with other feelings that inevitably kind of trickle into with like anger and sadness and frustration. It just makes the flame bigger and make it, it just makes it more intense. So I'm definitely feeling the effects of that today, just more in terms of not feeling anxious, but just feeling extremely drained and depleted of my energy and like my, my motivation to, to get things done. Yeah. It's like the anxiety hangover. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it feels, I've just been, I feel like I've been sleeping all day. I feel like I just mentally, I, I feel more level-headed as mm-hmm. far as like where my emotions are. So I think that I'm just kind of leaning into feeling like allowing my body to now recover. So this doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it does take a lot out of me. And I think that, you know, I, I have anxious moments day to day, but I think that my anxiety, it's something that I'm still getting to know. So I can't really speak very specifically on it because I haven't gotten a very firm handle of when I'm having certain experiences, is this anxiety or is this just heightened emotion that is you know, expected. So, you know, it may be a little, it may take me a little while to kind of navigate like where my anxiety comes from and and what it feels like for me today. But I've had enough experiences that have been intense for me to know that when it gets really bad, that that's what's happening. Yeah. If that makes any sense. So, well, if you're not, I mean, for you, it's been what maybe, uh, five, let's say, well, a five-year journey maybe of that, you know, you weren't somebody who had a ton of anxiety uh, for most of your life. So it's a new kind of... Well, I just didn't know what it was. I think that I've definitely been anxious for, for most of my life. I just never knew what it was. Mm -hmm. And I think that it got, it just became more noticeable and extreme in my relationships because my relationships have just been, you know, up until this point have just been me replaying 
experiences in my childhood, which all trigger anxiety. You know, that's like definitely where it came from. So it's been an interesting journey to say the least, but I, but you're right. As far as like the timeline of being more cognizant of what it is, probably about five years or so, mostly again, stemming from like relationships or like life changes, like trying to find a new job or a car or a place to live, like decision-making, mm-hmm. like I said. So yeah, so I'll, I'll do my best to kind of explain it in a way that um, is understandable, but just knowing that it's, it's a little blurry for me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think anxiety kind of always is because I was telling you that anxiety, the way that I define it, the way that I kind of identify it, I should say, not define it, identify it is when you are swimming in questions because Mm -hmm. anxiety is questions. So like when I think about depression versus anxiety, because sometimes it's really hard for people to know the difference. And sometimes I think you could maybe have both and they could present themselves in similar ways. But depression to me is like a, a feeling of like, as if you were a balloon and you were deflated and you literally can't fill yourself back up. You know, like it's that lack of energy, the lack of anything, literally the absence of everything. Mm-hmm. Whereas anxiety is the presence of everything. Mm-hmm. Like you are thinking about absolutely everything. Where depression, you kind of can't think about anything. Yeah. So like anxiety, I feel like you it's clear when you're having an anxiety attack or you're dealing with anxiety when there is a nonstop reel going through your mind full of questions. And the questions, number one, aren't helpful. Number two, you probably can't answer. And number three, most likely may not even be based in reality. And when you get sucked into that spiral of questioning, that's when I think, you know, you're in anxiety place because I was the same as you were. I'm sure that maybe I had anxiety growing up. I don't think I did. I definitely did have depression uh, throughout my life. And I have a blood disorder that causes anxiety and depression. So that is most likely why I have both of these things. Um, My mom does as well. Most people in my family do. So I knew what depression was and I knew how to handle it. Well, not really. (laughs) I knew what it was and I had it and dealt with it. But then after I, uh, I had somebody very close to me pass away when I was 20 and I, that's when I got PTSD and that is when anxiety began. And the questioning was that I realized that somebody could die suddenly they were also 20 when they died very suddenly at a young age and that anything could happen at any time. So that sent me free falling into what I call the question land of anxiety, which means that anyone could die. Anything could happen. I might, I constantly think I have breast cancer, lung cancer. I have melanoma. I, I, and it spins and spins and spins. And, um, and that's, you know, where Christy and I both found ourselves in those spinning places. Mm -hmm. I may have started recognizing them earlier because I had PTSD and had to go to therapy for it specifically. And I think other than that's the only reason that I had any idea what anxiety was or what I was dealing with because somebody told me. Um, Right. But it's that, yeah, that the constant questioning that is the madness of anxiety because you can't turn it off. And that's probably why you like that depletion feeling you have now because it does feel like every nerve ending in your body is like lit up. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. does it, it feels like your skin almost hurts sometimes, which I know that sounds yeah. so crazy. Yeah. It feels like it does manifest physically the way that depression does where your body actually does hurt. You can't sleep. You're like sweating, but cold. You're nauseous, but hungry. You're, you know, like all of the things. I mean, to think that your mental... And your physical being 
are not intertwined would be silly, you know, like one does follow the other. Mm -hmm. And it is definitely no, no question that you will feel physical effects from intense, in this instance, anxiety. And it is that it's such a, it's a paralyzing feeling because in your head, you feel awake in the sense that you're very, like you almost feel very wide-eyed, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like your like eyes are very- like seven cups of coffee. Yes. And you're on like a bunch of like Red Bull and you're just like, okay, like your mind is very active, but you can't move. Mm-hmm. So right. that's the maddening part of it because it it physically- you feel stuck and paralyzed. There's no other way for me to describe it. I, I've said to you before, when I get into that spiral, it feels like I'm thinking logically, okay, well, what would make me feel better? Should I go outside and take a walk? I don't want to go outside though. I, I don't, I, do I want to stay in? I don't want to sit here though, because I don't want to sit with my thoughts, but I don't, do I want to talk to somebody? I don't even want to talk to somebody, but, but I know that if I don't, then it's going to make it worse. And you, I mean, it makes me anxious just thinking about it because that's, that's what happens. And those are the things that I think about in those moments of wanting to self-soothe and knowing how, but just you, it's, it's almost kind of like how people describe, um, like night terrors when you're full, Mm -hmm. you're fully awake and you are under a brick of cement. You just can't move at all. Yeah. It's definitely, it's paralyzing. It's like, I can't tell you how many Saturdays there were that I woke up because I always wake up pretty early and I'll wake up and I come out to my living room by like 8am and make coffee. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit here for a little bit and then I'm going to do schoolwork and then I'm going to do the podcast and I'm going to whatever. And maybe not the podcast because you'll hold me accountable to that. But let's say if it's something that I just need to do on my own, I will start going through all of the things in my head, like what that entails. And then like questioning not only is that the right thing to do, like, let's say I'm quite, I'm thinking about doing schoolwork and I'm like, well, I have to do my paper. Should I do my paper on that? Is that even a good idea? And I'm like, well, like maybe I should just drop the class. I honestly, I don't even know if I can bake through the class. It's probably better if I just quit school, honestly, like be mm-hmm. better for everyone. <laughs> and then I just keep going and going and going. By the time Ricky comes home, I'm like, I'm dropping out of school and I'm also quitting work and I'm, and we have to move <laughs> tomorrow because I can't do anything. And he's like, well, have you done anything? And I'm like, I've done nothing all day. I've been sitting here for 12 hours, just thinking because Mm -hmm. you, it's true. You don't have the, you have the mental bandwidth to think about everything, but the physical capacity to do nothing. So it is similar Mm -hmm. like that in depression where that you're pretty much physically immobilized both ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes I think anxiety is easier to get yourself moving. Some people can get through anxiety by like working it, like working out and physically kind of like get anxiety out of their body, which I think works preventatively. I don't know how great it is when you're like, if I work out in the morning, it's definitely less likely that I will have anxiety later that day. But if I'm having anxiety, the odds of me working out, I mean, very slim. Mm -hmm. My hands are too sweaty. I can't even hold anything. My hands get so sweaty when I'm anxious, which is like most of the time. And like, honestly, please don't ever go to shake my hand. I'm not a sweaty person. I'm just really (laughs) anxious. So don't touch my hands. Um, But it's, yeah, it's that feeling where, like you said, it does feel like you when you drink a ton of coffee. That I feel like that's the only way. For, if you're somebody who's never had anxiety and you're like, what could that feel like? That uncomfortability where you feel like you want to do a million things, but you can't. And it's too much. Your, your body is going into overload. And my anxiety presents itself often physically. So I started experiencing this thing. 
I guess maybe what was it like three years ago, three or four years ago now where I, it seemed, I thought that I was just getting sick. I would suddenly get really, really, really sick completely out of nowhere. Like I would be totally fine. And then I would just start throwing up nonstop and I couldn't stop myself. And it would last for about 12 to 18 hours or something. And then I would be totally fine and it would just go away. And I would have no other symptoms. Like I didn't even feel sick. I was just throwing up and couldn't stop myself. And I went to the doctor. I've done a bunch of research. I've kind of looked into it. And I thought that maybe it was my blood disease I mentioned. But after I spoke to a doctor, she said that she thought it was abdominal migraines, which can be caused by anxiety. So my body literally gets so anxious that for whatever reason, which we'll get into like my more specific triggers and your triggers later. But like, if something triggers me to that extent, my anxiety, my body literally physically starts rejecting it and shutting, like as if there's a poison in my body that I have to get out. And unfortunately, like the literally, I have to do the mental work. There is no physical, uh, which like you were saying, they're totally related. The prescription the doctor said was go to therapy. And I was like, well, shit. All right, back mm -hmm. to therapy I go. So um, which I still haven't done to be totally honest. So, you know, I think that it's when it does start physically manifesting itself and presenting yourself, like where you can't do your job, you are struggling in your relationships. You are not able to do like I was, I wasn't able to go anywhere. I really wasn't because it would happen so frequently that I would get panicked that I might start just throwing up. Um, and I think that anxiety that it might happen then led to it happening. <laughs> so, right, right, right you know, it's, it's hard when it's not just a, I just want to let you know, like anxiety isn't just a mental thing. It's not just something that first, if you were somebody who doesn't have it, it, the physical symptoms can be debilitating and very, very real. Yeah. It's always the chicken of the, or chicken or the egg debate of what starts first. And it can be a little difficult to figure out how to stay ahead of anxiety in that way, because once you do start seeing the physical manifestations of it, then you kind of have to backtrack and see what could have possibly triggered that. Because I remember for a while when you were having those episodes of getting really sick, we, it, it didn't seem like there was a rhyme or reason. Yeah. We, and we then traced, like we tried to make all of the connections, the foods, the places we were, did I drink alcohol? Mm -hmm. But didn't think about, you know, the fact that you're, your mental interaction with like specific people or just, you know, conversations or, or whatever, that that was actually playing a much larger role than just the external factors that are more obvious. Like, did I eat something bad or did I drink right. too much alcohol or, you know, whatever that we thought that was. But, um, and I think that, yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, it's just an important thing to keep in mind if you are having these these physical ailments or anything that, that don't really add up, you know, maybe take a look at what could be going on emotionally and mentally that may be the cause. Yeah. Like we've both, um, I haven't finished it. I think you did. And my husband did, but the book body keeps the score, uh, talks kind of about trauma and anxiety and like how things can present themselves physically, even though they are mental and they are things that have happened that your body kind of stores in certain places and then gets triggered and it can start forming these habits. So basically what the doctor said, and I, I don't know if this is helpful for anyone, I don't know how common it is, but even if you're not getting physically sick, you're just having anxiety attacks. What can happen is that if you have a really stressful interaction with someone where your anxiety gets triggered, 
and maybe not only once, but maybe twice, the third time you see that person, your body will automatically start having anxiety and start making, putting you in that mental state as a, to prepare you because it knows that that is what's happened before. And that's what happened to me where the people that I was seeing, I was like, but I wasn't upset. We didn't get into a fight, but these are people that every time I traced it, it was multiple people in my life but they were all people that I would have very intense disagreements with, or they would trigger my anxiety in multiple ways. So now my body literally sees them as a threat and starts mm -hmm. freaking out ahead of time. And I still don't know. I mean, I'm going to have to just go to therapy and work that out. But if you're somebody who like, you're like, man, every time I see this person or every time I'm going to their house, I start getting anxiety. I start like my heart starts racing. And that happens to me with so many people and not all of them do I get start like throwing up. That's the most intense, but like a lot of people, you know, actually years ago, I went to go see friends of ours that I hadn't seen in a long time. Pulled over on the side of the road and threw up <laughs> literally yeah. just, like, my anxiety. And I wasn't actually, I'm not scared to see them or nervous or anything. It's there's something else at play. And I think it's that I had gotten into arguments with a lot of those people before in the past. And my body was like, mm, it's going to happen yeah. again. Yeah. No, your brain, your brain definitely, it protects you in that sense and then send all of the signals to the rest of your body to be like, all right, y'all buckle mm -hmm. up because like this son of a bitch is going to work. We're seeing them again and it's probably going to be bad. So just be prepared. Yep. And you know, on, in the same sense, I, I can relate to that just in terms of like having to see this one person every single day that caused such intense anxiety for me. And you know, it was a coworker and I've been in other working environments, like I've said before, that have also made me feel that way mm -hmm. where it's almost like you can feel like your Iron Man suit just like immediately activating yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, oh shit, here we go. Okay, let's just do it. Take a deep breath. And you know that your your breathing is going to start changing. Your blood pressure is going to get higher. You're going to feel way more, like the hair is going to stick up, like just on alert. Mm -hmm. And I guess the goal of it is to, you can't cure it. So the only thing that you can do is learn how to manage it and, and cope with it in the best way possible. So I think that before, I'm not going to go off into strategies quite yet, but just something to keep in mind for later on in the episode is that I think the goal of it is to start at least getting to know that side of yourself and, and paying attention to the physical manifestations that happen, because that would be your first indicator that you know, this could be a potentially anxious situation. And, and I just want to make sure that I'm as prepared as possible. So I think moving forward, the helpful way with the chicken or the egg scenario would be to get to know the physical side of it first so that before you can even think about what the cause is, you already feel it first. You know what I mean? Well, it's like what, um, yeah. like we said in our anger episode, you know, you have to start taking note of the physical cues. Mm -hmm. And then once you can kind of like, and I do think like we'll get into techniques later but there definitely are techniques that you can use to bring yourself back down and they're different for everybody but we I have a few that were definitely super helpful that we can touch on later um but I do want to ask so what what do you think what would you say are your biggest triggers for anxiety right off the bat I would say decision making mm -hmm. I'm an extremely indecisive person and um, I think that when I'm faced with a, like a fork in the road type of scenario or a choice, it's all situational, but for the most part, making a decision is very hard for me because there's so much that goes into both sides of the thought process. 
And the other thing that I just thought about was procrastination because I know that there, it's a lot deeper than just being lazy or putting things off because you just don't feel like it. There's some deeper reason. Well, there is, but not to cut you off, but I would just want to let it be known because I did listen to uh, an entire podcast about this and a doctor who studies like literal procrastination because his wife is a procrastinator and he wanted to figure out what was happening and procrastinators are not lazy. They are actually so perfectionistic and so people pleasing typically that they would rather not do it than do something that other people might not like or that it might not go the way that they want it to and that they'll just keep pushing it off and off and off. And actually people who procrastinate care more than the people like me who maybe submit thing or get something done way early just to get it done with, like just to be done. Well, I think like for me that something that you can attest to is that procrastination, it's not, it's not so much even about getting things done in that sense. It's more so my punctuality because if I'm, I've gotten better at it because I've forced myself. Yes. I've had to force myself to be more cognizant of my time management because it was very poor, but, but it still does occur even if it's like for an appointment or just meeting up with friends or something where I, I push it to the limit until I'm about to run late and then I do run late. And then once I'm in that mental spiral already of feeling stressed out that I'm late and see, you did it again, Christy. And then, you know, the, the snowball happens of all of the thoughts. And then what happens is that then it's almost kind of like Murphy's law kicks in where then like anything that could go wrong goes wrong. Like mm-hmm. the one day is trying to teach you a lesson. <laughs> the one day I remember I was running late to your house actually. And I was already like frazzled and, and, you know, like frantic about that. And then I went to zip up my jacket and like the zipper kept unzipping at the bottom. And every time I did that, and then like, it would, it's like that thing where like when you're already mad and your, your belt loop, like gets caught on the door handle or something. And it's just mm-hmm. like, what the fuck is going on? And so that's like where my spiral starts is my procrastination, but then it triggers my anxiety. Um, so I would say those two in particular, the, the decision-making the procrastination. And then sometimes we, we briefly talked about this privately, but just about like com- confrontation or mm-hmm. confronting a person, even if you're not going into it with bad intention, but just if you've had a bad interaction with them before, or it's a conversation that's really uncomfortable, that gives me a lot of anxiety as well. Yeah, no, I definitely, I strongly relate. I, it's weird because Christy and I, I would think that most people who know us would probably say we are confrontational. If you were to say, are they confrontational or non-confrontational? We would definitely be more confrontational. However, mm-hmm. we both get severe anxiety about talking about our feelings. And that's the thing is it's that I have no issue confronting someone and neither do you typically if they are in the moment, like when it's happening, like if I just see someone yelling at someone, I will jump in there quicker than you know, before I even know, to be honest, I might not even know what's happening. But when there's something that I feel that I need to express to someone, or you have time to mull it over, I could just Mm -hmm. think about that and and have anxiety about that for, like I told you, years, literal Mm -hmm. years. And I've done that with, with Ricky, with you, with jobs I've had, where there's been things that I'm like, yeah, I meant to tell you that like four years ago and um, <laughs> just... 
I just couldn't. And uh, my mind. Cause it's like, I, for all the reasons I'll talk myself out of it. And it's usually honestly that I, somewhere along the line, and this is about, you know, part of getting to know yourself, I would just rather not deal with things. You know, mm-hmm. I, for all intents, I just would rather not. And yeah. I, it's not that I don't feel that my feelings are valid or I'm afraid someone's going to yell at me or anything like that. I just like, the idea of it is exhausting. So it has to get pretty bad for, for one of us to really just to, to finally say, to say, to say the thing, you know, that we, yeah. that we want to say. And unfortunately with that comes by the time that it gets to that point, we don't always say it the best way because we are at the brim. So that's mm-hmm. something that we're both, we just have to work on. And anxiety is a major part of that because like I said, if, if you don't allow yourself to even have that time to think about it, then you can just make the decision. You can just say the thing, you can just do it. But the more you think about it, the more anxious you get. And that's why I started like years ago, I'll just pick the first thing, like literally the first thing I, if And I don't even allow myself to think that I might not like it or maybe I made the wrong choice because I did that for so much of my life. Like probably up until my early 20s, I was so hard on myself and so perfectionistic that I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I still feel that pressure on myself, but my anxiety about making a decision, I don't even allow myself to go there because I'm like you, I won't make the decision. I will literally think about it forever. So when somebody, I remember like with Ricky and I, I think like there's been a bunch of times where with like, um, when we picked our wedding venue, we saw one that was definitely not it. And then the second one, I was like, yeah, this is it. And Ricky was like, well, don't you want to look at other ones and see other prices and make sure that there isn't a better option? I was like, no, because that will lead me to complete and utter indecision. And right now I'm really happy with this choice. I can't even know what else is out there. I don't ever allow myself to question that because like I said, the question land is, you can't, you can't. You can't. So you just have to be like, yeah, I made my choice. And, uh, well, that and that's, from? what's that from? What? I, I made my choice. I'll uh, think of it. It's from a movie. Somebody's listening to this probably like screaming. God, she, like- a girl is like crying and she's like, I made my choice. I made my choice. <laughs> what's it from? Whatever. I'll think of it later. Ringing a bell. To me. I think with the decision making though, it's hard because like, Speaking from experience, it, and no matter what the decision is, it gets harder the more options you have because the way that people portray the ideal whatever, you Mm -hmm. know, and I think that when it comes to making a decision, whether it's buying a new car or finding a romantic partner, finding a place to live, finding a new job, any of those things, when you don't have that ability to make a decision and then accept what you did, then the anxiety just festers and grows because you will never be satisfied with whatever it is that you chose. Like you will always just be thinking of how many other things could be better that are out there that you should have done this or you should have done that. And that is just a disservice to yourself because you've already made the decision, but now you're just going to live unhappily because you refuse to be satisfied with what you committed to. And knowing that I think it's okay to, like you were kind of saying, like the culture of it is, it's okay to not have the best. Yeah, there is no, there is no best. You might get something and then see something later or make a decision and then later on be like, "Mm, 
Maybe that would be better, but it, there is it's no, all, it's, right, it's all it's subjective. All. It's all subjective. The term best perfect is, is not an objective term. Like everybody has a different reality and a different preference. So what you think is the best for you is probably not going to be the best for somebody else. And it is okay, you know, and that's what you have to learn and really accept that just do what's best for you. I mean, I was telling you before that it can even come down to something like going shopping for me is such a chore because it now involves my money and am I going to be spending too much? And then I feel like I have buyer's remorse and am I really going to use this? And I will spend hours in a store, like weighing options, looking at price tags. If it's food related, I have to look at the ingredients and see how much nutritional value and what it, it can be debilitating. And I think that's part of the reason why I just resent that whole process so much of having to purchase things like that, because it's, I already know. I already know that it's going to be frustrating for me. So I want to say while we're on this topic is that I was just trying to find the other name for it. And I can't find it. I'm, I was listening to Armchair Expert earlier this week and they had, he had Adam Grant on and uh, Adam Grant's like a professor of, I think he's psychology. Um, he teaches at Warren, but I, Ricky has a bunch of his books and I've, I've listened to him on a lot of podcasts, but he was talking about He's like a social psychologist, maybe I think it is. Um, I could be totally wrong on that. He was talking about the maximizers and versus something else. And I can't find the other word. Maybe we'll tag it in our stories. I'll find <laughs> it. He's like, I have this info, but I don't know what no, it he, is. No, they have a whole, like, they have the, uh, um, plenty of work, like um, articles about how being a maximizer, but then he said another word. So it was like a maximizer versus something else. And I can't find the other name for it. It wasn't like a settler, but it was something like that. Um, so basically the maximizer are people like you who will not buy something because they're like, good, it might come across something better, but like, I'm just going to wait. And then you get crippled with indecision. And that's exactly how my husband is as well. And the other person was the person who's more likely to just make the decision, just choose something, just whatever it is. And they said that while the maximizers might get higher up, you know what I mean? Like they might reach a higher status in life because they care so much about making the right decision. It's also more likely that they will not be, that they will actually never be happy because you mm -hmm. have to find a place to just accept what you want. And like what he said, mm -hmm. he said this in a speech the other day, but I want to quote exactly what he said here. But he said, a maximizer would say, like, I never settle for second best. When I'm in a car listening to the radio, even if I like the song, I often check other stations just to see if something better is playing. Mm -hmm. So it's things like that where you have to be able to find contentment in whatever it is and know that there might not be something better out there for you because otherwise you miss out on a lot of the, the joys of life. And anxiety can spiral in that sense so much so. And I know that I even, like, if I had allowed my anxiety to enter the conversation in so many aspects of my life, I wouldn't be here in this moment because I would have overthought it or not allowed myself, like even this podcast, I think that if I would have allowed myself to overthink it, like I did when I was younger or like let my anxiety be a part of this conversation, we wouldn't be here. I just decided to go with it and it is what it is. And we just, and that's why it works because Christy, Although I said in the past I am a perfectionist, I found a way to kind of battle that where I just do the thing right away. And I'm just like, 
I'll just put it out there. I'll just make it. And I'll just do it. And it is what it is. And Christy is much more critical. And you need both of us because otherwise she would be here for years. And if it were for me, this episode would not be edited and there would be, should be nonsense flying all over the place. So, you know, a little dose of anxiety when it's um, appropriate can be good, but it's when it starts becoming like really debilitating that is the issue. And I know, like you said, like your triggers about indecision and things like that. But I think that also in the past, like you, there's been times where you have been more insecure and both of us really, when we were more insecure, our anxiety ran rampant Mm -hmm. because anxiety breeds insecurity and vice versa. And when there starts being these little cracks in the foundation of who you are, whether that's because of your own anxiety about yourself and what you're thinking or what other people are telling you, it can be really dangerous. And that's why the stories that you tell yourself, the narrative that you tell yourself about who you are and the stories that you allow other people to tell you are directly tied into the anxiety you feel. And because if you could start spinning in those what ifs, what if I'm a bad person? What if I'm not worth this relationship? What if I'm, but if you have self-confidence and you know your worth, those thoughts will be fleeting. They won't Mm -hmm. actually start like putting holes in the ship and slowly sinking you. Um, Right which can happen and has happened to both of us in relationships in the past. Yeah, 100% because I think that, again, just a very common theme within a lot of our life lessons is really just building your foundation within yourself first. It, it's so cliche, but it really does always start with yourself. It starts with your mindset. Anybody who chooses to perpetuate a certain narrative in their head about themselves that will show itself in their actions and their behavior. So I think when you have a strong foundation and a strong sense of self-worth, then at that point, you know, it's kind of like the three little pigs. Like you can't blow my house down because like you don't, your thoughts don't matter to me because I already know. Yeah. Yeah, I already know myself enough and you are not a threat to me. Like it could, there's been times where definitely people have said things. I'm like, okay, ouch, but it's not going to shake me. No. And there's definitely certain triggers that Mm -hmm. we each have that, will that you can really get through and set us off on anxiety the ones that you just mentioned and like mine is no shock uh you tell me that i'm not perfect you tell me that i'm what i'm doing is not good enough i am especially if i'm trying my hardest that is that's the worst thing that i could hear and that will set me off into an anxiety spiral quicker than anything or if there feels that there isn't kind of like what you were dealing with last week when there's injustice Mm -hmm. where like I also get anxiety about, um, I I think it's a part of being an empath and this is where it gets kind of tricky, but I get a lot of anxiety about the world and about other people and other things that have nothing to do with me. Things that, places I've never been, you know, natural disaster. I told you I was obsessed with the Titanic for years when I was a kid. Like I become fixated on things and I'm, I'm, I'm anxious about it, even though something may have already happened, because that makes me think, hence my PTSD, if it happened once, it could happen again. And the second, I remember before we went on our honeymoon, I was obsessively reading articles about people who died on their honeymoon. And like, there's so many, you see them in the news all the time. Like young couple, first day of marriage died Mm -hmm. instantly. Like, I'm like, oh Jesus. And I kept like reading these stories and being like, I remember sitting there and just like saying to the universe, like, please just let us make it through the honeymoon. You can kill me when I get back. Just like, 
please don't let us die. On we worked so hard to get here. Please, please don't kill me on the honeymoon. And that was the first time I was flying overseas. I had never flown to Europe before. So I was like terrified. And mm-hmm. that anxiety, I mean, it was, it was so bad that on the, on, I threw up the minute we landed in France. This is a great example. I was so anxious that the minute we landed in France, I ran to that bathroom and threw up. And that was when I realized that European toilets don't have water in them. So that was shocking for me. Um, mm-hmm. And or nor t- toilet seats. They don't have toilet seats either. So that was really jarring. Um, but it's, you're, it's crazy how much you can get in your head. Like I wasn't anxious about us having a bad honeymoon or that my marriage wouldn't work out. Yeah, yeah. The very real things that I maybe could have been anxious about. I was anxious that our plane would, oh my God, I can't even say the words, like crash into the ocean. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. It's so scary. Ah, still just makes me like jello when I think about it so it's yeah when it starts getting like really out of hand and it's things that have never happened to you um and that you know probably won't ever happen to you that's when it's difficult and Christy and I not to jump ahead to kind of what we do to manage some of these things yeah but like I, we've mentioned before, you start telling yourself five real things. And that's something I learned in therapy when I was first diagnosed with anxiety and PTSD is because you start swimming in the what ifs and you're so unsure and everything seems so up in the air. And it feels like in like Mary Poppins when they're at house, when they're all floating, you know, and she's like standing on the ground and they're all laughing and she's like, everyone get back down here. It feels like I'm like, well, anything could happen. These people could start floating off the ground. Anything could happen. So I tell myself what my name is, how old I am, how long I've been friends with Christy, how long I've been with my husband, what my favorite color is, all of these things that I know for sure, and that I have other people and facts that can back that up, that that's reality, that's definitely real. And then you start building on that and just start reminding yourself of more and more real things until eventually you're not thinking about all of the things that are not real or may not happen, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, we are very aware that this has different levels of intensity for people and it's not just easy. One, two, three, this is just what you do. It can be very, very difficult for some people. And sometimes, you know, some people may need extra assistance and they can't just change their mindset at, you know, in the blink of an eye, or even over time, sometimes it's very hard to step out of, of yourself and to be able to see things, you know, a little bit more realistically. And yeah, like if you're not in a place where you can even think a lot, like Jamila Jamila said this before, if your symptoms are too bad to even think about the cause, then you sometimes need to, like I did in the past, go on medication, go to therapy, do whatever. And like, I, although I didn't stay on medication, it was a really helpful tool because for years afterward, I could still remember how my brain felt on medication. And I would say like, okay, when I was on anxiety medication, would I have been upset about this? Would I be worried about this? Would this be something that I was concerned with? And sometimes maybe it's something that you should go on medication and it'll work great for you and you stay on it. But even if you go on it for a short time, just to have an understanding of what it's like to not be anxious it can help make it clearer when you are being anxious. 
Right. I, I just, yeah. And I think that I just wanted to make that known because again, with, uh, with a lot of these things that we talk about, it's all condensed into one episode. So I just don't want it to seem like we have such a good handle on this and you guys oh God, should be no. able to just figure this out. <laughs> this is just no. kind of truly speaking from our own experience. And I think that that's important to say because I don't want to ever minimize any other person's experience that are, you know, much more intense or extreme than maybe mine or, or yours, you know? So yeah. um, with that being said, I'm going back to the whole swimming and questions thing and how you can try to manage and combat that in certain ways is mm-hmm. I try to keep the intuition part of it also in mind because sometimes that can help just alleviate the pressure You know, like there are so many what ifs and I can tell myself that all day, but what is going to be best for you? And I've gotten to a point where I try to even look ahead of the situation because I feel like I know myself enough to get an idea about if I make this decision, will I be happy? Will I truly be satisfied? Will I be content with it? I can at least have a good prediction as far as what that will be. So it does help make the decision process a little bit easier. But when it comes to very significant life decisions, to say that there's not a little bit of anxiety at the thought of getting into another relationship would be false because now... Well, your brain has learned from the past and you experienced anxiety in the past in relationships. So there's a fear that... I I just don't want to fuck it up. I don't want to find myself in another potentially emotionally harmful situation. It's just... So keeping myself grounded in, in that way can be a little hard. Luckily, I, I've had no prospects, so it's actually okay. Um, I don't have to worry about it right now, but I prefer it. I, <laughs> I prefer it that way. We'll just say that. Right, I'm, I'm sure. To be single. Something that I thought was interesting that does tie into the whole like multiple choice of it all is I read a book by Aziz Ansari that was called Modern Dating. And I think a lot of the times the dating apps are, are a failed endeavor because it feels like there are unlimited options. None of them That's a full have been good. Situation. They are literally capitalizing on like what I just told you where you're never going to choose because they might as well keep scrolling because there could be something better. Yeah. Just one swipe away, you mm-hmm. know? People like, the, you know, in the old days that grew up in like villages with like a hundred people and they just like met someone and met yeah. them and they stayed happy because there's no other options. And honestly, I think that that's what I was saying earlier of like, a lot of situations I wouldn't even be in today if I allowed my anxiety to come along. Like I, at any moment over the last 10 years could have said like, what if Ricky isn't the one for me? What if there's somebody Mm -hmm. better out there? What if I'm making a mistake? What if I, of course, anyone could say that literally anyone, you could be married to JLo as we've seen and still be wondering a rod if there's somebody better out there. I won't call you out by name. Like you have J-Lo and you're still like, mm, but maybe there's something better. No, there isn't. There's no one like better you're than not... j So it's like, no. even Beyonce got cheated on. Like it doesn't matter. That's why the confidence of like who you are is everything. Because number one, if somebody leaves you, you don't deal with the anxiety of what if I wasn't good enough? What if I did it? It's like, no, that's on them. You're rock solid. And then the anxiety of you wondering if you're in the right place or if you need to leave, like you have to be, that's what I mean by taking away that aspect. Like Christy knows, I say no regrets. I I will never bring up that I shouldn't have done something. I shouldn't have said that. I might feel bad sometimes about the way that things go. And I 
will apologize that I didn't deliver it properly or whatever, but I don't regret absolutely anything because I refuse to let myself live in that anxiety world. I'm so anxious about the future. I can't allow myself to be anxious about the past too. Like, come right. on, like that's too much. So just pick, pick What's something. What's done is done. You, know? you can't, right. right. What's you the can't point change of that? It. But another thing that you mentioned when you were kind of going through, like, what if I leave and what if I, or if, like getting into a relationship, leaving a relationship, whatever. Let's say you are stuck in the what ifs and you don't want to do the name five things that you know, mm-hmm. for sure. The other route that I've, you and I have done this together and I do this by myself is like, all right, let's play the game then. Okay. What if that happens? So you're like, I'm terrified that I'm going to lose my job. Okay. You lose your job and then what? It's like, well, then I'll lose my house. And it's like, okay. And then what? And you just keep going and going and going and going until you hit the very worst fear that you could have come to, right? That's the thing that happens if all of those terrible things happen. And usually what you land on is like, it's, it wouldn't be that bad. Like if you Mm -hmm. play the game with yourself, because the what ifs are so much scarier than the reality of it. So if you're sitting there like, what if this, and what if this, and what if this, you did that with your ex when you left. And it was like, then, well, and also you know, that's the thing is like when you are in a position where it feels like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Look at all the things that you've already done. I mean, right. that can kind of at least build your, your confidence a little bit within yourself of like, well, it doesn't matter because whatever I do decide, I will survive to quote Gloria. Um, no, I think that's a major, like, I do think it's, it's easier for us because we've had the, I guess, like blessing and the curse of both being at really some of the lowest places you could probably just having a shit life having a shit life and having (laughs) you know we've like we mentioned last week we've lost a lot of people and stuff and we've both hit like really low points um in our lives since we've been friends and not everyone it's kind of a blessing and a curse if you haven't hit that low point before uh it can be even scarier though and that's i think what a lot of people say ourselves included is like when you've hit that rock bottom the good thing is that you, there's the nothing to be afraid of anymore. I've been there. I did it. I went there and I survived and I crawled myself back out of that hole. And if I got to do it again, I'll do it again. And I think sometimes if you haven't been in that place, that's when it's so scary because you can't imagine what it will be like. But as people who have been to hell, literally, we've, we've been there, uh, went on vacation mm-hmm. a couple times and really Pretty not lovely. that bad. You, it feels terrible, but then when you look back, I think it's like how people say like uh, labor is, you know, like it's like the worst, most painful thing. And then somehow your brain makes you forget enough that you might do it again. <laughs> and you might and just... that you're like proud of it. You're like, actually, yeah. that was a great experience. Because... I can imagine. Yeah. Like the strength of that. It's like the same thing. Yeah. Like you get that strength. Like Gigi Hadid was just saying, oh, like she feels like a warrior now. She, what, she had like a fucking home birth and a, a bathtub and everything mm-hmm. natural. Like I, she's wild for a, being a ch- an actual child yourself, and then for all the reasons, like I, I admire. I her. stand, um, Gigi. Mm-hmm. But then again, I also admire everyone who's ever had a C-section or given birth with an epidural because anyone just had a baby. Birth, yeah, you, yeah, you did it. Because <laughs> uh, the nine months leading up to it, I'm pretty sure might be worse than that day. But Whew. you know, like I think that that is definitely like an empowering thing. And with that, like with the biggest struggles in your life, come the the most satisfaction and the most self peace of mind, knowing that you're capable of it. And so as much as you may be anxious about ever hitting that spot, whether you've been there before, like been there before or not, um, you will come back out of it. It won't last. It just doesn't last forever. And that's the thing about Mm -hmm. anxiety is that you have to know too, is that it is, it does come in waves and you might be somebody who experiences anxiety 
you might just be an anxious person or you might have anxiety disorder. And all of those are a little bit different. You could be all of them or just one of them, but knowing that it all presents itself differently and that, you know, you just have to find what, what, what lesson you can learn from it and what you can pull from it. And, you know, Christy and I are still like on that journey for sure. It's, it's very unique to every person because Mm -hmm. you do have to allow people to get there on their own. And sometimes it just takes, you know, it's a different timeline for everybody. So if you are somebody who may not have a good handle or, or understand your feelings enough or yourself enough yet to be able to stay ahead of these things in a way, just give yourself time and allow yourself to continue learning from these experiences and you know, taking a look maybe at your past because I think it can help point out certain patterns and oh, definitely like those triggers that you and I have are directly related to chi- most of them are directly mm-hmm. related to childhood. So most mm-hmm. things in the world, that's the point of the podcast. It always is. So like we said earlier, whether you're capable of looking at your physical symptoms right now and working backwards and then saying like, when did this begin? When did the anxiety begin? What are the triggers? Why does this always happen? And kind of like I did with those physical bouts of like illness, like you can really track it. And then on the other hand, if you're not capable of that, seek help, please, please go get professional help. Like go talk to a doctor, get on medication, do whatever you need to do. And there's absolutely no shame in it. And if you need it and it makes your life better, there's no point in suffering when you could live a very happy, peaceful life. And if you need help, then please get it. Yeah. Don't spite yourself just because you see other people, you know, make it look so easy. It's everybody is built on medication. Right. Or they're just avoiding something, you know, there's always something deeper to, to what you see, but, Mm -hmm. um, but the patterns really are super helpful because they're undeniable. It's not like you can rationalize actions and behaviors that you've either seen participated in those are all facts, you know, that you have to consider when, you know, trying to get to know, you know, what's going on with me. Why am I doing the things that I do? It can be, it, it still can be difficult for me to bring myself down. It feels like I'm a balloon that's ready to pop. And unless I talk to somebody, even if that's just me venting, like I'm not, I'm not speaking with logic, you know, cause I'll call you or I'll call my therapist or I'll talk to somebody mm-hmm. where at that point, I just need to get it out. I just need to release the pressure. and release that valve that is about to explode. And then at that point, you know, once I've deflated a little bit, I can start looking at things a little bit more logically. Yeah. And I think, and it can help like talking it through physically helps calm you down most of the time, like just getting it out, like you were saying, but then also having someone tell you who's not in an anxious state, how they see it or what they think of it can be helpful sometimes because when you are in that state, you're not thinking clearly. And there's been a lot of times where I've called Christy and said, like, literally, is this, do, do I, like, have a right to be, like, this worked up about this? Or is this, like, like not normal? Because, like I said, for years, I was able to kind of think about how I felt on medication. But that's been over 10 years ago now. I don't remember anymore. So, unfortunately, I can't really do that. So, I have to just rely on other people and say, like, listen, does this sound right to you? Somebody's not in a, a full anxiety state of mind. When you say, so if you are having anxiety, I think it's really important to say, and I say this to my husband all the time, it's okay to say I'm having anxiety or I'm feeling anxious. Mm -hmm. You don't have to say like, you could say like, I'm anxious. I have anxiety. You don't have to say like, 
that this is permanent, you know, like, or like, I, I am this way. Yes, I am. an I am an anxious person. You can say I have anxiety or I am anxious, but you're not an anxious person. It's not forever. And again, not to bring up armchair expert a lot. I've been listening to it a lot this week, so I'm probably going to keep mentioning it, but he was saying out for years, he said he was an insomniac mm-hmm. and then he stopped like somebody, a professor or a psychologist, something advised him to stop saying that mm-hmm. on the podcast and stop talking about how hard it is for him to fall asleep. And he was like, by God, I started falling right to sleep. He's like, I don't think I have it anymore. He's like, and for honestly, I don't know if it was that I just had it at some point. So then I believed that I was this person. So I just mm-hmm. kept going with that narrative. But what you tell yourself about who you are and what your experience is with anxiety is really shapes the way that your brain sees it and the way that you experience it. And like, I know that I am somebody who goes through anxiety, but I am not an anxious person. And I refuse to label myself as such. No, because your struggles in life do not define who you are. Just because you experience these things does not mean that that is who you are. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy when you are negatively self-talking to yourself because Mm -hmm. you just feed into that story that you tell yourself. And the more that you confirm it with yourself, the more you believe it and the less that you even want to step outside of that because you've already settled into the fact that you are this way when that may not even be true. And I haven't even realized how much your outside influences your inside, you know, even down to the music that you listen to, the words that you use to describe things. Um, I've, I've tried really hard to be cognizant of not using the word crazy, even if I feel like it's just like, even if I'm trying to be like egregious and be like, you know, oh my God, this, I'm so crazy. But like, the more you tell yourself that, even if you, if it is like in that sense of just being dramatic, your right. brain starts to believe that. So yeah, there is, do you remember like we had a family, not to cut you off, but we had a, you know, Mitzi, like we had a, a family friend that used to say to, to Christy and I all the time, like I would, that was back like again, 10 years ago when I was fully like just beating myself up about everything openly all the time. And like, I don't even know what I used to say about myself, but I imagine it was just like constantly saying I'm fat or that I'm something. I don't know, but I was saying something one day and she was like, shh, your subconscious Mm -hmm. can hear you. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time, it was the first time anyone had ever said that to me. Like I didn't think about it. And now I'll make jokes like sometimes like, oh, but I don't really mean it. I don't sit there and I don't tell myself, I don't create the narrative of who I am unless it's building myself up. Um, Right. Or things that are true. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Things that are just factual information about yourself and things that you do truly believe. Yeah. And that's a lot of anxiety comes with that of the beating. That's why we said, again, can't say enough guilt and anxiety goes so hand in hand because a lot of times you're anxious. I guess they could go either way. I think a lot of times for me, I'm anxious and I'm guilty. I feel guilty about a lot, like the anxiety, like basically sends out like a signal, like, Hey, all the other negative thoughts come in. And then like Mm -hmm. now I'm with all these other thoughts that aren't even about my anxiety. Like now I'm like, and I'm a bad friend and I'm, Mm -hmm. and I'm short and I like, which is ugly still. Yeah. Like, like why it just starts getting crazier. So that is why we, you know, knowing yourself and having a rock solid idea of who you are helps like Christy said earlier, like the Iron Man suit can protect you in a way of the way that your brain naturally wants to protect you from anxiety. You can start doing that by telling yourself who you really are and who you believe you are so that when those anxiety voices come in and start questioning, maybe you're not, you can say, no, I am. Right. No, I am. And, and those thoughts and, might keep coming and you keep arguing with yourself and then eventually they'll quiet. 
And just to add on to that. Oh, wait, what? Nope. Sorry, oh. we just got breaking news that Trump <laughs> was acquitted. That slippery, slimy son of a bitch. Okay, hold on, hold on a second. God damn, the whole fucking Republican Senate. Sorry, this is a real-time, real-time reaction. Okay, you know what? You know what? I, you know what? We're not going to let this cause anxiety. We're not going to we're not going to let this cause anxiety. We both just got breaking alerts on our phones of that Trump was acquitted. I refuse. I'm not doing this. And uh, you know what? I'm going to go full Meredith Marks from Real Housewives of Se- Se- <laughs> Real Housewives of Sex and the City. <laughs> okay. I'm very flustered. Okay. <clears throat> okay. I'm going full Meredith Marks from Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, and I'm done engaging on the conversation around Trump. Fine. Fine. You can be acquitted. I'm not, I'm not talking about him anymore. Fine. No, we cannot. No, we okay. truly cannot. Let's just disengage really quick. So uh, having people around you who are solid groups of people um, is very important because in the times such as this, when we are mm-hmm. feeling extremely anxious, sometimes depending on the situation, it's not productive or helpful to have just hype men around you all the time who are going to match your energy because then before you know it, you guys are both going to go out and probably like vandalize like, (laughs) or like destroy burn a city down or something like that. Like it, somebody has to have a level head. So you don't want to have just an army of yes people around you. That's not, that's not the answer. So, um, with that being said, so just to wrap up before we go on to our diamonds, I want to, because I know we've kind of mentioned them throughout. So yeah, our tips and tricks. So we said uh, on my end, I know I said mentioning five things that are real, playing the what if game with yourself and allowing yourself kind of to trace the what ifs all the way. Keep answering until you get to the bottom and realize that the final answer isn't probably that scary. Um, oh, and the other thing that is super, super helpful for me is deep breathing. So Mm. for years and years and years, I did yoga and I was taught to breathe in deep through your nose and exhale through your mouth. And that is how I would do deep breathing. Like that's just what I was trained to do, but that's actually not at all what you should do when you are in anxiety. So when you're having anxiety, you want to do belly breathing. So imagine um, it's helpful. You have to pretty much lay on your back. You could do it anywhere, but if you could lay on your back, put your hand on your stomach and breathe in so that you see your stomach fill as much as possible in your hand. You have to see your hand raise and then breathe out until your stomach is completely like as caved in as possible and keep breathing that way. So you're not filling your lungs, you're filling your stomach. And that type of breathing is physically impossible to do when you are running or in a, a, a fight or flight situation. So that immediately tells your body you're not in danger and that you can calm down. And I do that a lot when I'm having anxiety before I fall asleep belly breathing usually can help you fall asleep or relax. I would say maybe within a minute or two. Mm -hmm. Those are my tips. And then you can say, you wrap up your tips. So my, my tips, tricks, and takeaways. Um, I would say that for me, the things that I, that I uh, use the most would be definitely trying to release the pressure by talking to somebody or talking it out, phone a friend. The other thing is, um, you know, just, taking account of all the things that you have already experienced and gone through and overcome and the struggles that you have been through before. And then I think the third thing would just be 
this is a little bit easier said than done, but it does help when it comes to the whole indecision making or procrastination side of it is to one, you know, kind of backtrack a little bit when you are not in a hypersensitive state to see where you can better manage your time or alleviate that, that panic of the procrastination. Um, and with the decision-making, it's really helpful to try to whittle down your options if you can. Take a look at, at each one and, and think, try to think ahead of the decision. So think hypothetically for each situation, what would I feel like after this? Would I be happy? Could I see myself being content in this situation? And be realistic with yourself. Those have definitely helped me throughout a lot of my anxious moments. So hopefully that will help some yeah. people. Yeah, I think um, all of that, I mean, there has to, hopefully there's something of, out of all the things that we just said that could help you. And um, yeah, just always remember that it's not temporary or it's, not, it's not forever. It, just remember, it is always it is forever and it's not it's temporary. It's always permanent. Just take, but uh, take, take that with you. I can't speak today. As you can tell, like I literally, this is what happens when you're actually in anxiety talking about anxiety. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, okay. So let's hop into our diamonds of the week and then this. Yes. Thank God. Note. So, um, you, you go first this week. I feel like I go first all the time with your diamond. Okay. Um, is that going to make you more, more anxious? No, I, I think I'm trying to think. I thought that I had another diamond, but I'm only thinking of one. So I'll have, all right, I'll say two. So one of my diamonds is that I finally watched Playing Empire and oh, we'll go yes. through the whole recap, but I do think it was really interesting and uh, I thought it was really entertaining. I still do have a lot of questions about how Kevin came to be in this, mm -hmm. in this group, but um, overall I thought it was a great show and, you know, mm -hmm. Queen Anna forever. And oh my God. <laughs> then my other is the band Always, but it's spelled Always with two Vs. <laughs> and the Vins. They, I just like love them. They're from Canada and I've been listening to them for years, but I go through phases and like I kind of forgot. And I was listening to them again. I actually was blasting them uh, to make my neighbor stop screaming. It didn't work, but they're just so good. And they're kind of the perfect blend of they have really, really, um, they can have like kind of sad lyrics, but all the songs are so poppy sounding that whether you're sad or happy, they're the perfect band to listen to. So highly recommend that. Again, it's like always, but instead of a W, it's two Bs. So always. Always. So <laughs> those are my diamonds. They've both been like really, again, like we were talking earlier, music can really affect your anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I was really, I was really thinking about that this morning and that's why I put them on and it definitely was really, it's helped me out a lot makes me feel better. Yeah. So, um, what yeah. are your diamonds? Um, I have one single diamond, which, um, you know, maybe this will make people look me, look at me a little sideways, but it is the new documentary on Netflix called, Oh, right. It, Duh. I forgot that fast. Isn't it called, is it called crime scene? Crime scene, scene of the crime. Um, crime, scene. <laughs> crime scene. Any forgetting Sarah Marshall fans out there, hopefully you got that reference. Dick crime scene, scene of the crime. No, yeah, it is. Like, is it really? <laughs> It is called a crime scene. <laughs> Listen, I know. New crazy title for a Netflix special. It's crime called scene. It's about scene of the, the Crime. What's uh, the Cecil oh, so Hotel? So it is about the disappearance of Elisa Lamb, who mm. disappeared at the Cecil Hotel. Yes. And any of my true crime fellow 
people out there. This this was a diamond for me because it's one of my favorite true crime stories, the disappearance of Elisa Lamb, because there it's it's shrouded in so much mystery and it She's the one for anyone who doesn't remember, because I didn't remember her name. She everyone has seen the video. She was the girl who was in the elevator at the hotel and she's like hiding in the corner and like peeking out and acting very acting erratic very, and then yeah. she goes missing. Um and then they everyone. find her in the water tank of the hotel and it is still to this day unsolved. This is one of those videos that I don't get creeped out, as you know, like I have a lot of ghost experience. That video is so scary to me and always has been. There's just something so unsettling about it. So I started watching right away. See, the hard thing about cold cases, though, which, you know, it's like a love-hate relationship for me because I love the mystery and I love maybe all of the possibilities and all the questions. So in this case, you know, that aspect is actually exciting for me. Um, but, But also it's dissatisfying because I do always need closure. I need some type mm-hmm. of definitive, I need an answer for things. I, I need to know why. If anyone who is not super familiar, go on YouTube and look up Elisa Lamb elevator. It is the most disturbing 30 seconds that you will ever witness because you don't see anything other than her like jumping in and out of the elevator. The elevator doors never close. It looks like she's like playing a game with somebody. Oh my God, I'm sitting in my closet podcasting also and I'm like getting chills. I know, um, dude, I'm sitting here in my haunted fucking house. <laughs> That's why I was scaring me all morning. She's like pushing buttons. She's just acting extremely odd and there's no explanation for it. They find her body and- Hence the mysteries. So that's that. Right. Yeah. So that's our that's our show today. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm not going to say anything about what we're doing next week because I learned my lesson. I will never <laughs> ever say anything again. But we'll just join, do. We'll, you know. we'll we'll just take this opportunity to to thank everybody for sticking with us because yeah. this has been an extremely. Um, educational experience for both Katie and I. We are learning new things about ourselves every single day. So although we do speak about this, sometimes we sound a little sure of ourselves, but it's it's more oh, so just really we are not. we are unpacking this as we go. So we hope that this is helpful for other people and maybe, you know, can spark some curiosity within yourselves or within your group of friends to talk about this kind of stuff because I think that there's a lot of gifts within learning about yourself and people and the way that they are. So, um, I found it really beneficial and Katie has too. So yeah, I mean, if there are two people that have known each other for 14 years now, 15 years, literally half of our lives, half of our lives. And we still learn new things about each other on this podcast or things that maybe I'd heard her say, but I never really connected the dots. So like Mm -hmm. it's kind of happening even for both of us. So if we know each other that well, I'm sure you would get a lot of information about talking to your friends about these topics and learning some new things about their past that might explain why they are the way they are and how y'all can mm-hmm. grow together. So that's the point of it all. And if you want to get in touch with us, talk about your feelings, your anxiety, anything you want to hear about in the future that you think would be a great topic or you want to learn more about, please feel free to DM us on Instagram at we don't know her pod. You could also email us at Gmail. Um, we don't know her pod at gmail.com and Christy do what you got to do <laughs> and just keep an eye out for us every Wednesday. Um, make your life a little bit easier by subscribing to our podcasts on Spotify, on Apple mm-hmm. podcasts, really, I mean, really anywhere. Really, Liter- I don't know how there's countless platforms that you can listen to podcasts. So if you're listening to us on any one of those, just subscribe to us so that we can be here for you every week and oh. make it. 
Yeah, I just had a small request. I'm sorry, because this is my only way to do oh. it. Um, <laughs> so we have seen that, um, listen, to every, like we've said before, all of our international listeners, like, bless your hearts. I don't know who you are, but thank you. But for the people specifically, no shade to anyone else, in Ireland and South Korea, if you could just reach <laughs> out to us, that would be fantastic, because the fact that we've reached our homelands is, like, really heartwarming and we just like mm-hmm. want to put some faces to like who these these numbers like who are you people and we mm-hmm. love you and um don't be afraid you. and our parents yeah. would be like 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 if, if my mom knew like I had an, a listener in Ireland like my mom doesn't think anyone listens to this and like every day she's like oh, you're still doing that so if you listen at all number one just tell my mom but also please tell me so I can tell my mom so make yourselves known we want to yeah. know you all right um so with that yeah We'll uh, see y'all. I, oh my God, we're supposed to get another like 18 inches of snow this week. So anyone out there, bless your hearts, bless our hearts. Uh, and uh, I hope we'll survive and we'll be back next week. Oh, and free Brittany. Oh, and free Brittany forever. All right. Okay. Peace. Bye.